Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this patch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 305 We Kill and Eat Babies UN Rear Trench, Alpert 2, Mess Tentage Mills ravenously wolfed down the helpings of fried hash browns and chili over grains before swiping down his mess tin with a hunk of bread. He burped in satisfaction and dropped the mess tin into the barrel of the other tins. Dozens of other marines on rest rotation were gathered in mess tent having their midday meal. There was also members of the voluntary course made up the locals and ex-slaves who worked as support staff like drivers and cooks mixed in with the marines, chatting noisily away. Mills ensured that his water canteens were filled up before he exited the tent and headed to the unit's allocated buack. Suddenly, as he almost hit the unit's rest area, a siren screamed loud enough to wake the dead, followed by an announcement. Imminent enemy attack. All units return back to your designated defense zones. Repeat. Imminent enemy attack. All units to return back to your designated defense zones. The several loudspeakers mounted on poles around the rear zone of the trenches cried out where normally they would be playing some rock music. Mills cursed as he ran towards the tent shared with the senior NCOs. Some of his section had already suited up and ran past him without a word towards the entrances that led to the forward trenches. He grabbed his body armor and weapon before running out of the tent, strapping his armor on as he ran. He dunked his head low as he entered the trench entrance, following the men in front of him as their boots stormed loudly over the duckboards laid on the trench floor. He made a left at first intersection while the others continued on the maze on the trenches. After another few minutes of turns, the communications trenches, before he arrived at the forward trench Alpha 2, where he and his men were allocated to defend. What is the situation? he asked as he swept past several marines already up on the firing steps. Sarge, the signal corporal came up with the reported, HQ relayed information that our UAV has observed the enemy massing for an attack beyond the forest. Got it. He turned to the marines gathered there in firing trenches and called out for the headcount while ordering two of his men to grab more ammunition from the ammo bunker. Mills climbed up the firing steps and looked out across the pockmarked land towards the forest inside. It's going to be a long, hot day. Imperial line. Moel frowned as several men with richly embroidered tablets over their ornate plate mail stood before him with a hint of rebellion. My lord, one of the men with a hint of haughtiness said, you want us to risk our troops to save your daughter. The others watched with great anticipation as they knew the power of the Rothschild was waning. You're all powerful and rich, the man spoke with Odia said again. Why would you need our help? We are just mere land barons. Our forces are much weaker than yours. Moel's face darkened as he glared at the barons before him. You need not know the reason why. Just follow orders. But, my lord, another baron said as he mocked a stressed tone, if we lose our troops, how will we be able to defend the land against the goblins and monsters that threaten our lands? Yes, how can we protect our people if troops suffer casualties? The rest, watching the baron, suddenly cried out in injustice. How will we ever answer to our people? Who will compensate us for our beloved homeland is ravaged by those barbaric monsters? Enough! Moel roared out angrily, unable to contain his anger. Who is your liege and lord here? You all taken an oath to service me and the emperor. Are you rebelling now? Ah, uh, 
The barons looked at each other with unease as the commander of the Scorpion Legion stood silently beside Muel. Rebel is a harsh word. We're just worried about our lands and our people. Yes, yes, how can we rebel? We are loyal to the Emperor. The barons started to clamor about how loyal and concerned they are for the Emperor's subjects. Moel's frown turned deeper and deeper, and he glanced at the silent rock next to him before he said, I... The rock raised an armored hand and poked a step forward before he eyed the nervous barons through his helm. You have to turn of a glass to gather your men for battle. No one sand more, or face punishment by military law. The frightened barons swallowed their back any retort they wanted to say, and they sensed a killing aura coming from rock. Yes, my lord, at once... Moel watched the barons scramble away with a gloomy expression. He needed to show these barons what happens if they disagree to authority. You ready the troops, Rock suddenly said. I'll have my baronsmen support the attack once the enemy's strength is weakened. Moel nodded and watched Rock walk away with a whisper to himself. I will have to deal with you two later on. Skies over the northern front. The lenses of the ally UAV whirled and whined as it focused in on the troop built up at the edge of the forest. It hovered over the skies and recorded every move of unaware Imperials as column after column of armored infantry, cavalry marched into the forest and disappeared from the senses of the UAV. But it was more than enough intel officers at the command bunker to gauge and estimate the strength of the enemy and also their estimated arrival time in the direction of attack, allowing the command staff to effectively arrange and direct their defenses in preparation of the attack. The UAV continued to hum to itself happily as it watched everything happening below, including the new arrival of a contingent heavily armored troops that was different from the rest. Northern Front Central Command Joseph watched the UAV feed from the display and pointed at the image. What do we know about these troops? The intel officer signed to Orwell's point, frowned as he looked at the image. We have no idea, sir. We have received no word or intel regarding this, except that those insignia belong to this Black Scorpion Legion. I heard of them before. It was Joseph's turn to frown. They considered the Emperor's elite and forces. Yes, sir, the intel officer replied. From our records, it should be led by a man known as Rock. Sadly, we do not have any pictures of said person. The intel officer shrugged apologetically. But from what we know, he's kind of like the right-hand man to the previous Bluewood Emperor. He is known to be ruthless with his enemies, hence he's nicknamed the Rock for being emotionless. The intel officer read off the records from his tablet. His personal army, the Black Scorpion's Legion, is known to be a mobile and elite fighting force. It is highly trained and is very adept at assaults, achieving victory rapidly before the Legion could counterattack. But, Joseph asked, I'm hearing a bite, right? The tactics of the Black Scorpion employs are mostly what we learned in a blitz attacks. The intel officer explained, it's effective as long as they don't overexert themselves or have their supply lines cut. Hence, they are not very suitable for long sieges, the officer added. The rock will hit us as hard as he can to achieve victory in the shortest time possible, and he will use his mobility to overrun whatever remains. So we hit their supply line and forced the drag out war. Joseph asked and thought, but we do not have the manpower to sustain a long fight. No, sir, the intel officer smiled. Instead, I propose we do this. Joseph and the rest of the command staff listened attentively to the intel officer's suggestion, and sun wicked smiles appeared along the expressions. Ha! That might just work, Joseph laughed, and maybe it'll work very well after all. The UN Forward Trench Alpha 2. Mills! Lieutenant Silverstar came running over. How's everything? Sir, 
Moles greeted his company commander and quoted, God is in heaven, all's right in the world. Huh? Lieutenant Sobel stopped round. What is that? Um, it means everything's fine, sir. Moles cheekily grinned before he whispered softly, As long as gods don't come down here. The men sniggered as they sometimes called the company commander as God. The lieutenant Sobel stopped round, but he chose to ignore the laughter from the men gave as he saw the morale was high. I've gotten word that the enemy is forming up beyond the forest, and this line will be one of their targets. I expect that the firing will be hard. Lieutenant Silverstar addressed the troops around him. You all are marines. You breathe war and crap bullets out. Hoorah! So what do you do to the jerks coming here to take what's ours? Lieutenant Silverstar roared. We kill! What do marines do best? Kill! And eat babies! The men laughed madly at the joke, and Lieutenant Silverstar grinned. Do you want to live forever? Yes! Good! Lieutenant Silverstar laughed. Kill them before they kill you. Carry on. Mills, Vulcan CO gestured him over. Watch over the boys. You got it, Mills nodded solemnly. I'll make sure that they all get home in one piece. Good. I've tasked whatever available artillery we have to be on your call, Silverstar added. Too bad HQ doesn't allow us to bomb the crap out of them from afar. If not, we won't even need to be in the scrap hole. Well, sir, Mills grinned. You and I know that if the enemy scatters, we will be in even worse crap. True, Lieutenant Silverstar nodded. We'll carry on, soldier. I gotta check the rest. Mills nodded and watched Silverstar head away with his aides to another section of the trenches. Am the waiting is kidding me. The summer sun rose higher in the sky. The temperature rose along with it. The marines took shelter under the overhead cover to escape the sun. Temperature rose as high as 32 degrees Celsius as the men waited impatiently for the Imperials to attack. Finally, an alert lookout yelled, and the marines jolted awake from their lethargy and watched as hundreds and hundreds of bodies in shiny plate mail appeared at the forest edge. Once blood-soaked ground turned into a bloody mud paste, had long hardened back as the sun baked the ground. The imperial banner fluttered weakly in the thin breeze, and both sides stared at each other silently. Fark your mama! Someone suddenly yelled, and his voice clearly echoed across the stretch of land between the two forces. The marines burst out laughing and started to yell insults at the confused Imperials, whom clearly were unable to understand their cursing. Mills laughed as he watched a ripple appear amongst the ranks of Imperials. Dumb bastards must be cooking in those suits of armor. Keep insulting them, Mills yelled at his men. The longer they are in the sun, the more bait they get. <laughs> Finally, the Imperial side got back under order, and the horn blew a long and mournful cry, which signaled that the Imperials advanced. All right, boys, Mills checked his rifle. Here they come. Same as before, MGs hit when they are 400 out. Rifles hold fire till they hit the 100 marker. Clear. The Imperials formed into long, snaking lines of majors started to cast their protection spells, stacking their several spells together, strengthening the power of the magic barrier. Give me a fire mission, Mills yelled at the radio men, checking his map. Grid 937192019er. Several seconds later, a welcome screaming mortar shell came overhead, and the dying began. End of chapter. Chapter 306, Coming Home. Imperial Lines. Young Merc was seriously terrified. Just a few weeks back, he was just a normal person, having a normal life as a son of a farmer. He toiled the grain fields diligently with his other brothers and sisters day in and day out. Life was hard, but peaceful, and he had no complaints. 
Taxes, as usual, were high, but still, they had just enough left over for the winter months as long as they did not indulge. Suddenly, his whole world changed when the soldiers arrived with the local magistrate in a shiny carriage. The magistrate gathered all the families in the village square and made a proclamation, stating that it was their duty to serve their lord and master when he called for them. Each family was to send at least one abled man, depending on the numbers of males, to the city to answer the call of their lord. Incentives were given that each male and answered the call would be awarded one gold crown, and upon return, another gold crown would be awarded. Merck had four younger brothers and two sisters whom they looked after, their single mother living in a simple hut and caring for this small parcel of land that their late father owned. Being the eldest male in the family, Merck had made the decision and stepped forward to answer the Lord's call. Having gold crowned would be enable his younger siblings and mother to live comfortably for a few years. The next few days he had thrust into a world that he had never experienced before. The training was harsh, brutal, and surprisingly short. He was given a wooden pole to end together with hundreds of other men of all ages. They practiced marched in step together to commands and followed the call of the sergeants and officers. Merck was disappointed as he had envisioned that he would be clad in shiny armor, the sword and shield of his own, and looking heroic and dashing. But in reality, they only practiced stabbing each other in formations with poles before they marched off to given long spears. Leather armor and helms were issued, but the amount was barely enough for everyone. Lights broke out, and the stronger and larger men took the best of the armor while leaving behind the lower quality for the rest to fight over. Merck's body was lean and tough, having worked in the fields all his life. He managed to grab a suit of leather armor that was slightly oversized to his still-growing body, and while doing so, he suffered a bruised eye for his troubles. But to him, it was worth it. At night, while most of the camp was asleep, he painstakingly poked holes and threaded strips of leather into his armor to make it more fitting to his lean frame. The days that followed were an adventure that he knew he could entertain his siblings with when he returned, or even his children in the future. They were informed that they would march on a barbaric enemy that had kidnapped the Lord's daughter. The men filled with anger and heroic thoughts cried out as they would save the princess. Even Merck felt that he was summoned to be a hero to save the princess from the evil and swore that he would save the princess at all costs. He even envisioned himself saving the princess and her being betrothed to him for his heroic efforts. He and his company of spearmen were formed into a company named the Nineteenth Spear. There they were a thousand men in the company and they boarded the river barge and sailed down the river. They had taken turns working on the oars but to him it was an easy chore and soon they arrived at the destination a few other barges together. They set off on another long march while bearing loads of supplies before they set up camp. That was when Merck first laid his eyes on the black scorpions, and he was in awe of them immediately. The soldiers wore a black carapace-like plate mail that covered almost every part of their bodies. Full-faced arms covered their faces, giving them a deadly air of mystery and danger, while a motif of twin-tailed scorpions was embossed on their chest. Empowered by strong-looking soldiers, Merck felt like he was invincible, and they won't lose at all. But as fate had it, the first pre-dawn attack left the Imperial Army reeling back in fear and shock at the powers of the enemy that stole the Princess of the Rothschilds. His company had retreated and he ran blindly in fear, and before long, someone came and dragged them all together. 
he found out that more than half of his original company were now dead or missing when they gathered under the 19th Spears Company banner. Merck's company was rotated out of the front lines as they waited for replacements while other fresh companies were thrown at the enemy only to be beaten back in defeat. Now, formed into a massive column with 50 ranks across and 200 men deep, he marched packed tightly with the others and every man wanted to be in the middle of the formation. The closeness of each man gave them the courage to face the cursed enemy. Everyone felt safe when he squeezed between so many people and the beating of the drums gave Merc courage to take a step forward while the glow of the multi-layered magic barrier covered them. Merc's bravery only lasted until the unearthly screams that came from the skies. Immediately, everyone paused and braced themselves, some praying to their gods while others raised their shields to cover their heads. Loud, thunderous splashes and smoke appeared overhead, and the magic barrier groaned and appeared to buckle as the enemy's deadly magic wreaked havoc before they could even see them. Merc felt his legs weaken and he could barely move. The roars as orders and commands came from the officers on mounted war dragons, who berated the men and whipped them, forcing them to advance. Move! Move! Keep moving or you die! The frightened men pushed and shoved at each other as the sergeants forced the entire column to advance with threats of death for any deserters. Merc could only helplessly be carried forward by the masses as the men quickened their footsteps, hoping to close in with the enemy and get out of the killing magic. But as they approached closer to the enemy lines, a bright sheer bolts of magic hammered against the magic barrier. Merc briefly saw one of the battle mages in the blue, long coat stumble down with blood coming out of his orifices before disappearing under the mad rush forward. Merc scrambled madly to keep on his feet as he did not want to be trampled to death like the mage he saw. He gripped the person in front of him for support and kept pace with the crowd, trying best to breathe as the air around him turned hot and suffocating. Keep it up, we're almost there. The column of men heard a cry and the morale rose and they cheered, thinking that they had survived the march across hell. Suddenly, the column appeared to hit a wall as the men in front of them slammed to a halt. Merck was somewhat in the forward third of the column and couldn't see what was happening and could only follow the rest in shoving and pushing the men in front of them forward to prevent from being crushed from the men behind. Move! Don't stop! Keep moving! Little did they know that the men in front had hit a barrier of barbed wire that hampered their movement. The coils of razor were hooked into the clothes of the Imperial soldiers and slicing into any unprotected skin. The men of the first few rows screamed as the weight of the entire marching column shoved their face first into the barbed wires and booted feet crushed the lives out of them. More and more soldiers tripped and soon the entire column came to a standstill as the men in the front jammed up the entire attacking column. UN Forward Trench Alpha 2. Oh, those poor bastards. Mills grinned, not feeling sorry at all. Frick them up. He watched as the steady approach of the column bodies, which mortars and machine gun fire punished it. The Imperials seemed to have learned from their early assaults and had seemed to group their troops into a battering ram made out of bodies. Mills had to admit that the old man of the Rothschild had a good mind, at least in regards to changing his tactics. Instead of having squares of marching men moving like a chessboard and protecting the magic shields, he changed his tactics into making a single battering ram of troops. Now, half a dozen such columns were fast approaching their forward lines with beefed-up magic shields that managed to protect most of the Imperial troops from mortars and gunfire. 
but now the column that was aiming for Mills' trench was struck by the second row of barbed wires which was deployed at a hundred meter mark. Here, there are three layers of barbed wire protecting the approaches to the trenches, each placed at fifty meter intervals. I want aim shots, Mills roared over the din of the machine guns. Give them, I'll love. RPGs screamed up from their tubes and hammered the stalled Imperial column, crashing their shields and exposing some of the standing soldiers. Rifles barked as the marines took careful aim and gunned down any Imperial out of cover. The entire column appeared to shake as if the Imperial troops started to lose confidence. Finally, the multi-layer barrier dome protecting the entire column was unable to hold up against the punishing firepower of the marines, appeared to shimmer brightly before popping loudly and dissipating into a sparky like motes in the air. The column reeled back and the sudden loss of their magical protection, and bullets started piling flesh and armor. Mills gave a bloodthirsty grin as he sighted his rifle onto an Imperial officer on a giant alligator raptor-like mount and squeezed the trigger. Watching the round toppling the Imperial over the war dragon ran away, dragging the lifeless body with one leg was still trapped in the stirrups. Merck stared wild-eyed at the sky as he heard the strange popping sound and felt a very strand of his hair rising. The shimmering dome over the heads was gone. Many of the others paused and came to the same realization, and they turned to flee, while others more level-headed spread out of the column and charged the enemy, knowing that if they ran back they would fall victim to the killing magic coming from the skies. Merck, torn between the two sides, finally decided to charge at the enemy, thinking that it was safer than running across the death zone again. Charge! An officer screamed at the men to advance, but he slowly jerked back clutching his chest as he toppled off his mouth and spooked creature dashed off to the fields. Merck screamed in fear, out and as he ran, followed by the broad back of the fellow soldiers before him. He gripped his spear shaft tightly and ran with the sharp tip pointing forward as they were trained. He kept his eyes on the back of the soldier in front of him when suddenly a dark red flower blossomed from his back and Merck felt something punching him hard in his gut. He stumbled to a halt and looked down, seeing a dark stain growing up his temp trousers. He touched the wet material on his fingers and came roy red. Merck groaned and toppled over as he lost all the strength in his body. His vision slowly darkened and he stared limply at the blue skies, and suddenly he saw his family smiling in the drifting clouds. I'm coming home. End of chapter Chapter 307 Dragon's Breath Incoming dragons, a warning cry came from the lions and winged serpentine shapes could be seen in the skies coming up in support of the Imperial attack columns. HQ, we got inbound dragons! A marine radio man yelled his report over the din of firing guns, requesting immediate air support. Repeat, we need AA support now! As the dragons drew closer, some of the machine gun teams switched their attention to swatting the big lizards over the sky as they came swooping down. Take cover! The marines ducked and hid under overhead protection from the trenches when over a dozen medium-weight dragons dive-bombed their section of the trenches, lobbing flasks of alchemical fire down as they threw over. Some of the more daring marines remained in the open trenches and fired at the underbellies of the swooping dragons while crying out profanities at the Imperials. The alchemical fire potions made with a mixture of arcane materials burst into flames upon breaking on the surface. Most landed off target, but a few managed to land right on top of the trenches, causing burns to anyone unfortunate enough to be near it. 
White, hot traces chased after the dragons, and a couple of the dragons cried out in pain as the bullets punched through their underbiddies and ripped their holes in the wings. The injured dragons slammed into the ground as they failed to pull up and they dive, plowing deep crevices into the earth and cutting a trench line directly, creating a breach in their defenses. The remaining dragons swooped back and instead kept a safe distance from above, for their crews to throw firebombs which accuracy was gently diminished. The attacking Imperial columns, having the gunfire slackened against their magical barriers, took the opportunity to advance. The soldiers threw their shields over the barbed wires to create a path and charged in. Suddenly, the entire front of the trenches erupted into flames and smoke as claymore mines went off. Thousands and thousands of deadly ball bearings were flashed into the Imperials. The sudden damage against the magical barriers overloaded the mages, maintaining them as they felt down convulsing from the backlash and mana burn. The Imperials suddenly, without the aid of their magical barriers, recoiled back from the gunfire, slamming into their ranks. Yet they still gathered their courage and charged directly at the unseen enemy. Moal sat in his mount and watched the attack with a frown at his face. Land Baron's forces had performed beyond his expectations. He was only expecting them to weaken their levels of mana before the rock commits his forces. Now, maybe he might not need the rock's assistance after all. Moel thought of himself with a smile. Once the attack was successful without the help of the Black Scorpions, he would be able to claim all the credit. Send in the second wave, Moel ordered. We will break through the enemy line and on to the city by nightfall. Lord Rock, Moel smiled and Black Scorpion Legion Commander. I think we might not need the services of your bronze men after all. The rock remained quiet as he watched the battle occurring in the distance while Moel gloated over his easy victory. The second wave of Imperials were Moel's own men, while the first wave consisted of soldiers from the barons. Several wheeled catapults were rolled forward by the teams of toiling slaves while soldiers loaded jars of alchemical fire. Kill them! Kill them all! Moel roared. Mills cursed as a wave of superheated air blew right towards him and he made him remember of the once when he got badly injured by a fireball spell. He cursed at the dragons in the air and turned to the radio man, yelling, Where the frick is our AA support? HQ says ten minutes at least. The radio man yelled back, Rack! Mills swore again and he stood up and firing shots in the trench and emptied his weapon in anger at the approaching Imperial soldiers. Order the MGs to ignore the damn dragons and aim for the infantry. Yes, Sarge, the radio men started fiddling with the radio to relay the orders to the MG nests. Mills reloaded and popped up from his crouched position and fired an Imperial who had a thick mob of filthy beard. The Imperial soldier fell back clutching his chest and another took his place. Why are we always pricking outnumbered? Can we outnumber the frickers for once? The enemy troops had reached the 50-meter mark, and most of them were sheltering behind the bodies of the fallen, as anyone who tried to advance without any magical protection were shot down without any mercy from the marines. Sarge! More enemy reinforcements, the radio man yelled out. HQ sent word that we've got another massive infantry coming our way. What the frick? Mills cursed. Tell HQ I want artillery on the air support in our sector now. HQ says artillery is being tasked for another mission and air support is engaging the dragons. The radio man reported after a while. We got no support. Fracking hell. Mills cursed again. Tell everyone to ready our secret weapon when they breach the last line of claymores. Yes, Sarge. The radio man ran off to relay the message down the line. Mills returned to fire his rifle at the Imperial scattering before the defensive lines. 
unable to make any more progress forward without dying. He could see the carpet of bodies that stretched all the way back to the forest. At the edge of the forest, he could see another half-dozen columns of Imperial troops marching forward under the cover of the rainbow hue of the Dome of Magical Protection. Why the frick don't we have such stuff? Mills asked as no one particular. Why can't we have magic protection too? Freaking cheaters, Mills cursed and ordered. I need four runners. Go grab more ammo and water over and everyone drink up. It's going to be a long, hot day today. He glanced up at the skies and he heard the drone of the aircraft engines. Soon, their anti-air support came in and laid waste to the flying Imperial Dragons, which scrambled madly away from the deadly machines. Mills felt better as he saw the sky raining dragon bodies, and he even broke into a smile when he saw one of those bodies and the dragon crash landing into a pile of Imperials taking cover behind the dead. Suddenly, a massive ball of fire rose up around the side and Mills flinched back in surprise. He quickly regained his wits and yelled out to confused men, Keep firing! What the frick is that? The Mills asked of the radio men who listened to the reports coming in from the command nest. Siege weapons, the radio man replied. Imperial catapults. Frick! How much more crap are they going to throw at us? Mills grabbed his binoculars searching for the battlefield for the enemy catapults. After a while, he spotted the wooden frame of the catapult at the rear. Tell the Air Force I want them to destroy those catapults. On it, Sarge, the radio man switched frequencies and hailed the Cobras overhead. Angel flight, angel fight, this is Falcon Alpha 2. Request airstrike and enemy catapults. Grid 242392019. How copy, roger. Roger that, Falcon Alpha 2. Stand by for gun run. Two mics out. Two minutes, Sarge, the radio man informed Mills, who nodded. The ground shook again as the ball of fire rose up amongst the defenses and cries of medic could be heard. Mills returned to watching the catapults in the distance. And that stuff has range over 600 meters. He watched the easily identifiable slaves pull the ropes to arm the catapults, while others hoisted a large jar-like object onto the firing cap. The catapult's arm suddenly flung the jar high up, and Mills followed the trajectory back to the jar in the air and cursed. Crap! Incoming! Scatter! The jar of alchemical fire smashed against the ground just before the trench line, and the highly flammable substance burst out before igniting into flames. A couple of marines hiding behind the trench screamed and the superheated air and flames rolled over them. Merle stood back up and saw the trio of cobras coming down in a swoop and their guns blazing and almost immediately the catapults parked at the edge of the forest erupted into flames as the guns and planes blew the jaws of our chemical fire up. Frick yeah! Merle's cheered as the rest of his marines as they saw the catapults go up in flames and smoke. All right, get the wounded back. The rest keep kidding those blue bastards. The second wave of Imperial attack columns managed to shrug off the punishing fire of guns as they crossed the barbed wires, flattened by the shields dropped by the first wave. Suddenly, the Imperials lobbed flasks from behind their magical barriers, and thick black smoke erupted before the Marines' lines obstructing their view. Frick me! A smoke screen! Mills cried out in surprise. Use the flamers now! The Marines, hearing Mills' order, grabbed the flamers kept in the bunkers and aimed the nozzles towards the evil-looking smoke at the doorstep. Burn them! The flamethrower-armed Marines squeezed the triggers, spewing out the liquid-fuel mixture before igniting the sparker which ignited the liquid fuel. Instantly, the front lines burst into flames and several long flamers swept the dragon breath like flames left and right, and screams echoed out beyond the smoke screen. Imperial Lines 
Mual grew more agitated as he watched the siege weapons burning away and a great deal of his alchemical fire supplies had been destroyed by those cursed flying creatures. Now, with the thick smoke blocking his view of the action of the battlefield, he had no clue as to how to attack Fed. He could briefly hear screams coming from the distance and consoled himself that those were the dying screams of the enemy. Suddenly, he saw figures appearing out of the smoke and more and more followed behind. He then realized that those were his men, and they were retreating in panic. What are you all doing? He roared angrily at the running men. Attack! Anyone who dares take another step back dies! His men, too gone in fear, ignored him and kept running. Infuriated, Mual drew his sword and slashed down the nearest runners. His action made the rest avoid him as they sought to escape the howl that they had entered. My lord, one of the royal commanders rode up next to Mual. We, we had to retreat. What? Mual's eyes turned red as he glared at his men. Cowards, how dare you run from the enemy? My lord, the commander jumped up and down from his mount and dropped to his knees. The enemy has a terrible spell that destroyed all that came close. We can't advance. What? Mual's eyes widened as he heard the commander's explanation. What spell? Dragon's breath, the commanders replied. We ordered the retreat not to lose more men to that spell. How? How do they have such a high-level spell? Moel frowned. But that does not excuse your retreat. They could only have cast it once. No, my lord, the commander trembled as he recalled the incidents. They had more than one dragon's breath spell. What? Moel was frightened. A dragon's breath spell was rated at a high level 8. Its destructive abilities were greater than what their current heavy weight could ever wreak, as their bloodlines were not as powerful as the ancient dragons. And these rebels had not only gotten the heritage of the gods, and it gave them such powerful thunder spells, but also dragon's breath. What else must they possess? Is what Titania telling him about the power of these barbaric rebels true? Then I bite off more than I could chew, Moal whispered to himself as he watched his scattered troops retreating in fear and countless wounded being helped with their comrades. No, this war must end in my favor. End of chapter. Chapter 308 Terminator The Rock shook his head at the pathetic display as the routed soldiers ran away without any sense of dignity. He gave a glance at Moel Rothschild, who seemed to be paralyzed with the shock as he stood there without any action or expression. He raised his hand and gave the signal to his troops, the Black Scorpion Legion, to advance. The smoke that lingered after the battlefield were provided adequate cover to shield them from the enemy eyes. Over 2,000 black-armored soldiers and 500 bronze men with their handlers marched forth. The black scorpions eyed the fleeing soldiers with disdain. Some even cut down those with the swords when they had gotten close. What are you doing? Moel jolted out of his thoughts and stared at the rock. Why are you sending in your troops? The best time for an attack, the rock calmly said. The enemy is most likely had to use the last trump card, which was the dragon's breath spell. With this attack, my men will be able to break through the enemy lines. He simply said and gave his mount a kick and followed after his men, leaving Moel cursing. The rock took a deep breath in the battlefield, taking in the scent of iron and death. There was also a hint of something acrid and sour in there which he couldn't quite identify. He ordered his soldiers to halt just beyond the range of those screaming, kenning spells that came from the sky. 
He and his commanders had observed the past few battles and calculated the enemy's spells had a maximum effective range and his troops should pause just before it. Sharp thunderclaps immediately popped out of the enemy lines and Rock frowned as it was the first time he came under the receiving end of these thunder magic. He did not belittle the strange magic and he knew that by winning this battle, there was a high chance that he could get his hands on the strange and powerful magic. Instantly, his eyes strained on the troops lifting the heavy shields up and formed into a tight formation. The magically enhanced shields resisted the power of the thunder magic, making sparks and bursts out on the impact of the spells. These battle mages, without needing any orders, silently chanted their spells and created more barriers of protection for the marching legion. Let the bronze men take the front, he commanded, and not long the ranks opened up and allowed the heavily armored bronze men to advance forward. The bronze men were clad in thick interlocking plates of metal that common soldier would have had great difficulty moving in, yet the bronze men continued marching forward without any signs of hindrance of their armor. They were made out of a combination of living flesh and vile magic, their flesh enhanced to be stronger than iron, veins filled with a concoction of magical elixir and bones strengthened by sorcery. Their minds were wiped and their souls enslaved by the process which turned normal beings into bronze men a loyal warrior that was neither living nor dead. Used in ancient times as a soldier of the gods, they once roamed the land under the directive of the gods to wage war. Now, lost in time, they now once again walked the lands, doing what they do best in battle. Despite the best efforts of the Imperial Magisters and Master Mages, they could only replicate just 10% of its true strength, yet it was more than powerful enough for their needs. The Rock couldn't imagine if they could replicate the power of the Bronze Men to even 50%. How powerful would they be? Each of them hung a great sword over their backs and carried a large rectangular shield that covered almost the entire bodies. They strolled forward without any hurry nor hesitation into the heavy spellfire of the enemy, while dozens of battle mages kept the pace behind them, shielding them with their magic barriers. Some Imperials, too frightened to run or advance, trapped in the middle of the battlefield, saw the approaching bronze men and cried out in relief, thinking that they were saved. But the bronze men ignored them and everything in their path. They confused Imperial soldiers watched in horror as they were trampled over whoever was in their way. Their weight and strength crushing flesh and bones as easily as breaking straw. Terrified, the Imperial soldiers could only try and avoid the approach and risk getting killed by the enemies as they left their cover. Moles observed the enemy gathering at the forest and a block of black-clad soldiers approaching in a steady manner without fear. Moles admired the confidence and the cool designs of their armor down to the man-sized shields. Call for some artillery support, he said to the radio man without taking his eyes off his monoculars. Get some badasses coming right up. Sarge, HQ says hold the line at all costs, the radio man replied. There will be no fire support for the time being. What? Mills turned and looked at the radio man in surprise. Check with Lieutenant Silverstar. After a while, the radio man's expression turned anxious and he retorted to Mills. Sarge, the OC says the same thing. We are to hold for now. HQ is planning something big for the enemy. What the frick? Mills nearly flung his binoculars away in anger. Why are they hanging us out to dry? Damn it! Mills turned back and watching the battlefield. All NCOs on me now. After a short while, all corporals, sergeants, and even platoon lieutenants manning the entire section of the trench line gathered around Mills. 
Sorry, sir, for taking charge here, he apologized to the young-looking lieutenant, who shook his head and gestured for Mills to continue. All MGs and RPG teams are to concentrate fire and take out those mage barriers. Mills passed on his orders. I want the rest of the men to wait until the barriers go down before engaging them. Got it. Everyone in the impromptu command meeting nodded, understanding his orders. HQ says that we have no fire support for the time being, and they are prepping something big for the Blue Boys, so we are hung out to dry for now. The next wave looks tougher than what we've fought before, but so keep your eyes open for any surprises that they have. Mills added, Good! Hoorah! Go! Mills dismissed everyone as they hurried to pass down the orders to the men. Once word had passed down, the machine gunners swapped out their red-hot barrels with new barrels and the assistant gunners linked the boxes of ammunition together. Marines armed with RPGs rested their launchers against the sandbags, parapets, and the trenches and waited for the smoke to clear for a shot. Between the wisps of lingering black smoke, glimpses of the approaching Imperial's magical multi-hue dome could be seen. The marines stacked their five round clips of munitions and grenades on the earth shelves, and they dug the walls for easy access when they needed them. Runners carrying cases of ammunition and water barrels ran along the trenches, refilling the marines' ammunition and their water canteens. Soon, her breeze came and cleared the smoke away, exposing the approaching Imperials without the need for any order. The guns were fired. Shrieks of RPGs followed by traces as the magical barriers of the Imperials could be seen flickering under the sunlight. The battle mages supporting the spells could be seen gulping down potions to restore their strength as the powers weakened. The most of the second wave of Imperials routed of the only a few pockets of enemy soldiers cowering under the cover of the dead comrades. The only enemies left were the third wave of Imperials, and the domes of protection attracted all machine guns along the trench lines. Yet, despite the best efforts of the guns, the enemy was able to weather the punishing fire as they made it across the 50-meter mark before the magical barriers broke down. Suddenly, the Imperial soldiers started jogging forward while drawing their great swords over their shoulders. They were menacing even at this distance, and even Mills felt a tingle of fear down his spine. Break this, use the nades, flamers stand by. The marines quickly lobbed egg-shaped grenades over the trenches directly at the charging Imperials. Black powder-packed explosives worked as advertised, spewing up ball bearings out in a spherical effect. Yet, the heavily armored Imperial soldiers ignored the shrapnel and the exploding grenades like they were nothing. Burn those black bastards, Mills yelled as the Imperials came to the last razor wire obstacle that was set barely 15 meters away. The flamethrowers equipped marines sprayed the gouts of flame out from their position, torching the approaching Imperials and turning the entire area into a sea of flames. Burn the motherfreckers, burn! Mills cheered as the rest of his, but his expression quickly changed to horror as a figure after figure wreathed in flames came walking out of the fire. The smoke and the burning figures ignored the razor wire and trampled over them, and the marines in front recoiled back in fear. What the frick? Mills cried out as he fired his rifle at the burning figure before him. He heard a loud clank and a figure dropped to rune shield down, exposing the black armor-clad Imperial. Its armor glowed red, and the smoke and steam ran off the crevices of its armor. The soldier dragged his great sword in two-handed stance, the tip was scraping against the back earth. Shots slammed into the soldier, making him jerk and dance on the spot before it collapsed down to one knee. The holes appeared in the armor of the soldier, who stood up and continued forward, not heeding the wounds that it had suffered. 
the marines were dumbstruck at the resilience of the imperial soldiers, and they backed off from the trenches in alarm as more soldiers appeared from the flames. Keep firing, Mill screamed at his men. They must have some kind of cheating magic to allow them to take damage. The marines, hearing Mills' order, returned fire rapidly, barely missing with the close distance. The flamers continued to spew the flames as the Imperials at the rear, their small chemicals stick in the air. Mills loaded his M2 carbine and emptied the whole magazine into the looming figure before him. The Imperial didn't even bother to block the shots, and it toppled backwards into the flames, but shortly it stood up again. What the hell are these guys made out of? Mills yelled as he slapped another fresh magazine. More undead! Crap, this rate our forward trench will be overrun. Mills turned to his radio men and ordered, Tell HQ and Lieutenant Silverstar that the Alpha 2 is getting overrun. What are their orders? Yes, Sarge. The radio men replied nervously as he quickly relayed the messages. Frick it, Mills fired an original target who walked out of the flames again. Attach bayonets! He rammed his sore bayonet into the lug and clicked it in place before he aimed it at the helmeted head in the Imperial and fired. The Imperial helmet deformed under this onslaught of bullets, but barely stopped its movements. What the hell? Headshots don't work anymore. Are they really some kind of freaking Terminator? Sarge, HQ says, fall back to the second line now. Imperial lines. Rock smiled as he eyed the progress of the bronze men with the magic telescope spell. He waved his aid over and said, All troops to advance. We have broken through the enemy defenses. Moel and Rothschild, seeing the rock successfully, quickly rallied whatever troops they still had any sense of order and ordered them to follow the black scorpions from behind. He might not have won any merit by breaking the enemy lines, but he should at least share in some of the glory. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.